0: All right, if you will, uh, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible as we talk about fellowship in the church and the kind of fellowship that we are to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and today we're going to read verses 9 through 18. Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 through um, 18. This is a uh, how-to-live kind of passage of Scripture. And if we are to be the fellowship that we proclaim to be, that we're supposed to be, we honestly, genuinely are, then um, we need to be consistent with Scripture. Uh, Someone has said we always act as we behave, or we behave as we believe. We always behave as we believe, sometimes as we confess. Sometimes as we confess. And I would hope that our confession and our behavior line up better because that is what marks us as believers or disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have fellowship one with another, and we have fellowship with Jesus the Son of God, and the Heavenly Father, as we discussed last Sunday. This fellowship is a peculiar fellowship. Peculiar meaning unique, and not everyone is on board. We are the people of God, and we are a minority in this world. We will always be a minority. There's a lot of money being spent on the culture wars that we will never win. Our winning comes through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime we can share the gospel with someone, it's a win. If they will simply hear the gospel, it's up to them to decide if they want to respond. But it's a win on our part if we share the good news of Jesus Christ and they can hear it simply, hear it plainly, and then it's up to them to respond. So we are a church which is a peculiar fellowship, a unique fellowship of the people of God. In the beginning of Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That makes us peculiar. We are the only people that do that. The rest of the world is trying to be served, we, on the other hand, are trying to serve. We are the peculiar ones because we are giving of ourselves to the betterment of others, for the good of others, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The rest of the world is in it for me. What's in it for me? How do I benefit? What can it do for me? So often I hear, about the Association of Baptists. And we have a great association here at Salem Association. Our annual meeting was last week, last weekend on a Sunday evening. And uh, Buck Grove served an awesome barbecue, by the way. And uh, they are to be commended uh, for a delicious meal. Uh, But Someone uh, raised the issue that they hear in their church from time to time. And it goes something like this. What's in the association for me? What's in the association for me? Well, folks, that's the world's view of how to live life. But we are peculiar people. We live the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And it is the mind of Christ to serve others. It is the mind of Christ to be self-sacrificing. It is the mind of Christ to give one's life in service to other people. And that's what makes us peculiar. That's what makes us different. Peter wrote in his book, uh, or his letter, that we are to be a peculiar nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own purpose. And so we live in this peculiarity. We are not like everyone else. The question is... Do we let the world interfere with our purpose and our values in such a way that we reflect the values of the world rather than the values of Christ? And if our life is lived in such a way that people can't tell the difference between how we live and how the world lives, they will never come to understand the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that changes us. It is the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that transforms us to be this peculiar kind of people. So how are we to behave? It begins in verse uh, chapter 12. It begins in verse 9. And uh, I'll read through it, and then I want to go through it kind of slowly as we look at these behaviors of a peculiar people. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind <coughs> excuse me, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Blessing those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people." As we begin this peculiarity of Christian people, we have identified here some behaviors that set us apart from the world. Number one, in verse 9, let love be genuine. There are 13 that are listed here that I'd like to go through today. Let love be genuine, meaning without hypocrisy. Hypocritic or hypocritical is where we get the word from hypocrisy, and it means that we wear masks. It means that what we show on the outside is not necessarily who we are on the inside. And so to be hypocritical is to be two-faced. Two-faced. A person that loves genuinely is a wholehearted kind of person who has their love for God intact in such a way that they can love others truly. And so we can love others wholeheartedly. We can love others genuinely. That requires asking in return respect. Anytime you are loving another person, you have the right to be respected. You do not have the right to be abused. You do not have the right to be taken advantage of. If you genuinely love someone, you have the right to be respected. This kind of genuine love is the genuine love that Jesus had for his fellow man as well, and taught us to have for each other as well. Let love be genuine. Let it be without two-faced, wearing-a-mask kind of hypocrisy, but rather let it be real and let it be genuine. True love will hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, the word for cling here is where we get the word collagen, It's a a science name where the the fabric of the muscle is attached to the bone. It clings to the bone. The muscle clings to, to the bone. That's called the collagen. We are to cling in that same way to what is good. To cling to what is good, you first have to be able to identify what is good, what is moral, what is right, what is honorable. And that's why Paul says in Philippians, if there be any excellence... If there be any beauty, if there be anything of moral value, let your mind dwell on these things. I had a preacher in our church one time uh, who served in the FBI when he was a college student. Now, when he served in the FBI, he served in Washington, D.C. Come to find out, what he did in the FBI was uh, he matched um, a fi- fingerprints, and that was his job. Now, we had another guy in our church that did the same thing. He said, that's the most boring job you've ever had in your life. But when the preacher uh, described this job he had, he said, when I worked for the FBI, well, you just had the idea. This guy had a, had a, had a you know, 9 millimeter, and, a, and a, you know, he was carrying, and, and he had a trench coat on, and he had a hat you know, that nobody could identify him with. He was one of those kind of guys. No, he was looking at fingerprints. And the lesson he taught us was you don't learn how to recognize false fingerprints by studying bad fingerprints. You learn false fingerprints by studying genuine, authentic fingerprints. And when a false one steps in, he said you can identify it just like that. Some of you work at a bank, Uh, Some of you work in in the public, and and you can recognize a false $50 bill. You can recognize a false $20 bill as as it comes your way because you've been using the genuine or the right one, and when someone tries to sneak in a false one, you you recognize it. You recognize it. Uh, I worked in a pawn shop uh, for about a year and a half, and um, uh, people would bring in glass uh, rings that were not, uh, we call them a zircon, made of zirconia, and uh, we call them zircons. And the boss, he could tell the difference just like that if it was a real diamond or if it was a false diamond. But when he would go take a break, his wife would, uh, would be the one to take in the, the jewelry, and it was like people were watching for him to leave and her to be there because they knew that, she, that they could bring in the false diamonds, and she didn't know the difference. She never could tell the difference. And for 20 or 30 minutes, people were lining up selling these false diamonds (laughs) at the jewelry store. Well, so it is, you and I can be caught off if we are not trained in what is good. If we do not continue to look at the good and recognize the good from the evil. And that's what he means by cling to what is good. Be able to recognize what is wholesome, able to recognize what is right. Here's a word for that. Write this word down, discernment. Discernment is missing in the church now more than ever before. It's as if we don't have our spiritual antennas up and people are sneaking in behaviors that do not honor the Lord, but the world says it's okay. The world says it's all right. The Bible says it's not okay. It's not right. And folks, when we talk about what is right and wrong, we need to remember that the God we serve who makes us peculiar is a God of righteousness. God is always right. God is always in the right. And God is seeing to it that the right gets done. That's the righteousness of God. And as we walk close to Jesus Christ and live this Christian life, we will recognize authentic love, or we will also recognize when someone is trying to use us or abuse us. But no one who says they love you has the right to use you or abuse you. Let love be without without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. I really think we need to learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. God always loves the sinner because he loves me. But God hates my sin. My sin is offensive to God. I am an enemy of God because of my sin. And I thank God that through Jesus Christ and the mercy and the grace of God shown at the cross, I have been forgiven of my sin. I have been washed clean of my sin. And now I stand before God justified, just as if I had never sinned. So we learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And when you hate what God hates, you begin as a Christian in the fellowship of the church to recognize sin more often than you used to. And you want to be careful that you don't blame other people for their sin without being authentic and repentant about your own sin as well. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. In verse 9, the word love is the term agape. But when you come to verse 10, he uses other terms, other Greek words for the word love. Be devoted to one another in Philadelphia love. Philos, Philadelphia love. Be devoted to one another in Philadelphia love. Give preference to one another in honor. Treat one another with the kind of respect that you want to be treated with as well. And folks, when we have a fellowship in the church where people are treating each other like they want to be treated, there's a sweet, sweet fellowship in the house of God. Uh, You can smell it when you walk in the door. Uh, you can sense it when you walk in the door because people are being treated with respect, people are being treated with honor, and we give more honor to each other than we demand honor for ourselves. In verse 11, he talks about one of the seven deadly sins, slothfulness, slothfulness. I don't know why I looked at Bill when I said slothfulness, but you were, just the, you were there, Bill, I'm sorry, uh, I woke him up for one thing. Yeah, he's wide awake now. Not lagging behind in diligence. I did give him a heads up that we're going to have a Thanksgiving meal here um, on Thanksgiving before, on Sunday before Thanksgiving. That's our plan at least. And um, I asked him, would he bring one of those good cherry pies? But um, y'all be thinking about that as well. Not being, what do you say? He was going to, but he's not now. Well, I I just ruined that, didn't I? Not lagging behind in slothfulness. Slothfulness. You know what a sloth is, don't you? He's that animal that's always hanging from the tree, and he's never getting anything done. Uh, You and I practice slothfulness um, with a word that starts with P. Do you know what it is? Procrastination procrastination you know why put off to tomorrow when you can put it off today right um procrastination after a while it adds up and it builds up and it adds up and it builds up and the problems get larger and larger instead of taking care of them at the at the root cause so do not be caught in slothfulness or procrastination but instead be fervent in spirit be fervent in spirit Now, folks, it takes a lot of fellowship to get things done here at Ekron Baptist Church. And I've noticed among you, those of you who are absolutely doing your best to get things done here. And my hat's off to you, salute to you. Uh, You're willing to serve, you're willing to prepare things. Uh, I called Darlene during the week. I said, Darlene, uh, looks like we're going to get to baptize Easton Sunday. Uh, Can you have the baptistry ready? No problem. No problem, and it's warm, and it doesn't have ice in it like Richard said, but uh, it's warm, it's ready to go. Uh, No problem, no problem, no problem. And I've asked that many times of many of you for other things, and you're just anxious to get the job done. That says a lot about the fellowship of this church. You want to get things done. And I noticed something else. Uh, In churches like Louisville, uh, Kentucky, people don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to fix anything. They've worked in factories all their life. They've worked at Ford. They've worked at GE. And they've lost their skills. And I come to Akron, and y'all can do everything. You can fix anything. You can paint anything. You can make it work. Just give you an opportunity to make it work. And you do that. And uh, my hat's off to you for using those kinds of skills in the maintenance of the church and keeping things going. Because everybody has a place in the body of Christ. Everybody has a spiritual gift in the body of Christ. And it may not be fixing things, but it may have a lot to do with hospitality, showing hospitality. It it may there, there's that pie again, Bill. Uh, it may be hospitality, it may be um, uh, encouragement, it may be teaching, it may be some other skill in the church. And so because you exercise those skills, you find a place to serve in the body of Christ. You're a happier church, and that peculiarity uh, keeps going, not based on money, not based upon status, but based upon your love for the Lord, your love for the Lord. So give preference to one another in honor, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We serve each other as if we were serving the Lord. In verse 12, he talks about rejoicing in hope. And um, I've got a series of messages that I'm going to preach someday about hope. You cannot live without hope. You cannot exist in relationships without hope. Hope is what keeps you moving forward in relationships. Hope is what keeps you coming back and being resilient and standing up again and and leaning forward and going forward, uh, that sense of hope. Uh, you take a child that's just been born and, and you, don't, um, you, know, you don't touch it, you don't uh, uh, nur- nur- nurture it, uh, that child will lose, will lose hope. It'll lose its health. But a child that's nurtured and cuddled and fed and changed and so forth, uh, that's why our preschool is so, so very important, is that the children that come here learn that they belong here. They're being tended to. Uh, they're being fed, they're being changed, they're being nurtured. And that kind of nurture is, uh, is a, uh, an example of the, of the peculiarity of, uh, of the church. Uh, so we rejoice in hope. We persevere in tribulation. Paul said we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Uh, we're, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We have a resilience that allows us to persevere in tribulation and tribulation for the church is growing and will continue to grow i do not see it seeing it fade away i see it growing and uh, we had a taste of that during covid and there's going to be more of that to come and i think god's stirring the church i think god is stirring the church are you in are you all the way in or are you playing church are you playing church And those who are all in will persevere in tribulation times. Those who are not all in will fall away. And that kind of Holy Spirit um, work in the church, challenging the people of God, took place in the first century, and it will continue to take place as long as we are here. Also in verse 12, devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. It is by praying that god works when we work we work but when we pray god works in verse 13 he begins to talk about contributing to the needs of the saints and he has a particular collection in mind he's going to tell the church Corinth to lay aside every week an amount of money so that when he arrives he'll be able to take this collection back to jerusalem uh, to feed those who were in the famine who were the first church, the Jews. And to show that kind of love to a people who didn't want the Gentiles there to start with, you see, this book is written to the Gentiles. And Paul is saying to the Gentiles, we want to be a Christ-like and take care of the needs of the saints back in Jerusalem, even though they didn't want us to be saved. He said, we're going to feed them anyway. And that's what they did. And that kind of love is the kind of fellowship that Paul was writing to here in this passage of Scripture. So contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. In verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Leave room for the vengeance of God. Leave room for the judgment of God be the one to go the extra mile, be the one to give a little extra, and you'll find that your neighbor uh, will change at the same time. Uh, Bless those who bless you and do not curse. In verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A church of of, uh, fellowship will be a church of compassion. And this kind of compassion allows all of us to feel together uh, the sorrows in the church and the rejoicings and the c- celebrations in the church as well. Um, I enjoy a, a, a good wedding. Uh, being at a wedding, uh, the only reason I go to weddings is to eat the wedding cake. there's no wedding cake, we haven't had a wedding. I we Just mark it off. But uh, we ought to have good, <laughs> a good wedding cake. And um, when you are celebrating with someone who is weeping, uh, how do we minister? Banana pudding, banana pudding. And so, you know, we as Baptists have got that reputation of ministering to those who weep with the banana pudding and celebrating with those who are <laughs> celebrating with uh, some good wedding cake. We, we're going to eat both ways, seems like. And, um, but hey, sharing around the table of God is a picture of the resurrection to come. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And what do you do at marriage suppers of the Lamb? You eat. You eat. I told somebody, when I pass away, when I pass away, I want you to bury me and then go back to the church and eat fried chicken and uh, potato salad and some cornbread. That's what I want you to do. Because that's what I'm going to be doing in heaven. I'm going to be at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And uh, we're going to be rejoicing in God's holy heaven. I want to tell you, that hope of being together around the table of God has ministered to Lynn and I more in the last year than anything else. Just the hope that, number one, we're going to be together again, and number two, we're going to do fun things together again. And we're going to, part of that fun thing to to do together again is rejoice around the table of God. And then we're going to close out in verse 16 to 18. Be of the same mind toward one another. There's the fellowship. There's where you get the term koinonia. He is calling us to unity, but not uniformity. I thank God that everybody doesn't have to be like me. Uh, we were talking about living in Louisville a while ago, and we were talking about uh, one of the best-kept secrets of uh, Jefferson County is Oklahoma. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, multi-races in that, that county. And I enjoy that. I really do. I enjoy that. And to have that multifaceted racial uh, c- 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 community there, um, I have learned to embrace that because— those who are going to be in heaven are not going to be of one race. We're going to be all the people of God that are saved from all around the world, and we might as well get along with each other down here uh, if we're going to get along in God's holy heaven as well. So be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone And respect what is right in the sight of all men. And then we'll close in verse 18. If possible, this verse has come to mean so much to me. I have spent 50 years pastoring churches trying to fix people. And the Bible never told me I have to fix everybody. And here's what it says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you know, you've got to do your part in getting along with people. Be at peace with all men. Now, there's reconciliation and there's peacemaking. The two are a little different. Uh, Reconciliation is the idea of bringing people back together with some new level of uh, friendship and relationship with, with, with each other. Peacemaking is doing all you can to make that happen, but accepting the fact that it may not happen. Not everybody wants to hug and make up. Not everybody's ready to do that. And um, Linda and I went through an experience in our church in Louisville that took a lot out of us. And we were trying to be reconcilers. And the people we were trying to reconcile with didn't want it. And the, the whole issue changed when we decided to be peacemakers. And so we decided, in fact, I had to tell this family, I can't be your pastor anymore. Can you imagine me being that bold with somebody? I said, we have been hurt so much, I cannot be your pastor anymore. Now, you're welcome to come to church here, but I just can't be your pastor anymore. I will not be your pastor. We have other staff members. We have other staff pastors. We have a slew of deacons they're ready to minister to you but we're going to be peacemakers and we decided that it was okay in trying to be a peacemaker we decided it was okay to exist in the same building without shaking each other's hand and hugging necks all the time and folks it worked it took the pressure off of both of us the kids grew up to be Uh, well, they just excelled in everything. One's got a PhD, and the other's fixing to get a a PhD from college. Uh, They're succeeding, and we're glad they are succeeding. But I think had we not taken the stand of peacemaking as opposed to reconciliation. Reconciliation is the hope that you can have some new level of relationship going forward, and not everybody wants that. And that's why he says here, as long as it depends on you. You see, you may be doing all you can do to be a peacemaker, but the other person doesn't want any more of you. Let them go. You are not the only other person in their life. You are not their Savior. Jesus is their Savior. Jesus is their Lord. And you've done all that you can do. Let the Holy Spirit and let Jesus do the rest. If you follow that logic, would you just say, "Well you shake your head like this?" Nobody's shaking their head. Let me do it again. Uh, the difference between reconciliation and peacemaking is that reconciliation is trying to get people back together at some new level of cooperation. Not everybody wants that but I can still be a peacemaker as it depends upon me to do whatever I can and let them choose who they want to be their next pastor or their next best friend or whatever but I do not hold the past against them that's what it means to make peace I let go of the offense that happened and I do not hold against them any longer Now, if that makes sense, shake your head like this. Okay, good. I got a few shaking their heads. That's good. Today, we are going to open the doors of the church for you to make your decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're ready to do that, I invite you to come. I want you to come stand right up here, be seated on the first pew, and we'll pray that prayer with you as you invite Jesus into your life for him to be your Lord and for him to be your Savior. If you desire to unite with our church from a sister church of like faith, and order, we invite you to come as well. We will receive you. I invite you to stand together, if you will. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we can all be reconciled to you And that we can all play the role of peacemaker so far as it depends on us. But we all have our limits, Lord. We're not the Son of God. Only you are the Lord of the church. Only you are the Holy Spirit in our life. And so, Father, help us never to hold back a wrong that has happened, but instead bless those who have cursed us to be a person of hospitality, to be the kind of person that Jesus was to everyone that he met. It is impossible for us to do this alone. We're like the hose of conduit and you're the living water that flows through us. May we simply be the vessel that offers this kind of love. May our love be genuine may our love be transforming may our love be real we pray this in Jesus' name Amen You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ First, admit that you are a sinner Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.